Well, hello everyone. Hey, there we go. Hello everyone, and um, good to see you all. We've, um, Karen and I, we just come back from a holiday. So we're all chilled. We've had a great time down in um, Cornwall, walking the Southwest Coast Path and celebrating uh, our 35th wedding anniversary. So um, this word's had an extra week to uh, stew and, and chill because I got it ready before we went. So, uh, so here we go. So we are moving through um, Hebrews, um, the book of Hebrews. We're right in the middle now. We're looking at chapters 8 and 9. Um, and in many ways, this is the kind of zenith of the, of the first part, really, um, of this book and, and the key message here. Um, so um, <clears throat> there is a bit of reading to do. So I'm starting from um, chapter 8 um, down at verse, uh, well, I'll pick it up from verse 6 um, and just read through. And most of this first chapter 8 is a quotation from Jeremiah chapter 31. Um, So, talking about the Lord Jesus, uh, verse 6, but now he, that is the Lord Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been an occasion sought for a second but finding fault with them, he says, and here's our quote from Jeremiah. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant and I did not care for them, says the Lord. That's a reference, if you remember, we were at this a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 6, um, and we, we looked at it when we did our study in Exodus. The very Exodus generation, the very first generation of Israelites, when Israel became a nation, that generation who, under Moses, was, you know, saw all of those plagues and all of those fearful uh, miracles and literally the people that literally walked through the uh, the Red Sea with the walls on either side these were the people that were fed by manna in the desert these were the people who went to Sinai saw the presence of God on Sinai the clouds the thunder the light in the rumbling they all that lot that generation when it came to coming into the promised land they were the ones who turned away and said, no, 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 there are giants in the land and we're just like grasshoppers and we'll not do it. And they turned away. That is the great apostasy. That is the great falling away. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, guys, that's how, you know, we, the Israelites, that's how we began. That first generation fell away. Now something much bigger, much better is here. Now there is a new covenant arrived now. The Messiah has arrived. Everything's about to change. And he's really just got that appeal to them. Don't turn away again. Don't fall away again. And so here he's going to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is referencing that turning away and bringing a prophecy where God is promising a new covenant. A new covenant. So this is it. 
uh, verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts, not written on tablets of stone. Miraculous as that is, the finger of God writing the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. But no, he says, I'm going to put the law inside in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This sense of belonging and ownership and something just much greater than what they've got at the moment. They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, know the Lord for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. Everyone will know me. There'll be no hierarchy of, you know, the more holy ones, the priesthood, the greater ones knowing God greater and the lesser ones knowing God lesser. He says, no, we're going to sweep all of that away and everyone will know me equally. They'll all know me the same and they'll all, they won't be saying to one another, know the Lord, they'll all know me. I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So that's not just a covering of sins. That's not just a, a compensation, but a forgiveness of sin. And where there is forgiveness, there no longer needs to be a sacrifice and all that is swept away. So I just want to, um, I just want to say, really, he, 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 he makes this contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. And he says, you know, that I just want you to hear God's heart, really. That sense of, you know, the people knowing me, that's what he's looking for. That's what he's longing for. That's what isn't being achieved under the old arrangement. And that sense of sin being forgiven and people being, you know, free in their consciousness, not being conscious of their sins anymore. With the old covenant, every time you, you approach God, there was sacrifice and there was blood and, you know, a lot of mess and a lot of smell and burnt offerings and things like that. All of that reminding you of the, of the sin that needed to be for, you know, compensated for. So I want to just pause at that point and say, I want to invite you to marvel and to revel in the advantages of Christianity over any and every other religion. I want you to be able to um, be confident before anybody who espouses any other religion or, or moral code or whatever that they live by. You know, there's plenty of weird and wacky stuff out there as well. I just want you to be confident that Christianity tops it all. We've got it far, far better than all of that. And in a sense, I want to say, don't take these things for granted because they, they were costly in terms of being earned by the very blood of Jesus. But on the other hand, I do want to say to you, take these things for granted because they are guaranteed by the Lord God. They're not going to be removed. They are enduring. So... So don't take it for granted and yet do because they're guaranteed. <coughs> a lot of it, I just, just, just take a moment and think and marvel at the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the big 
difference between the old covenant and the new you if you are a believer in the lord jesus christ then the holy spirit dwells in you and i just want you to think about that that is a that is a new way of knowing okay so so how do you know things do you know things because you you experience things through your senses you experience the outside world through your senses you use your reason and your judgment and your your logic that's how you know things okay but here is a new way of knowing because now now you have within you in that inner space which where you alone occupy where you are in yourself and now and now there's somebody else there with you there is a companion there is a there's a fellowship there the holy spirit dwelling with you that's why christians are so annoying and infuriating when you get into a, a debate an argument and you say in the end you can say well look, i don't care what you say i just know it's true i just know because i know it in my heart there is that assurance of salvation that assurance of the spirit of god in you crying abba father that spirit of adoption the bible talks about the holy spirit as a an engagement ring a, a deposit a down payment a promise something that guarantees that promise and you think look i don't know all of the ins and outs of it all and i can't make you know sense of you know all of this and all of that i don't need a doctorate in theology i just know that i know that i know and that way of knowing i want you to revel and celebrate in that that's what that's what the lord wanted they will all know me from the least to the greatest you're going to know and you know and you know and you know you know in your knower you know inside of you it's individual it's personal and yet it's completely fundamental and universal isn't it because when you meet other people who have that individual and personal indwelling of the spirit you recognize that and then they recognize that and you you know your brothers and sisters together aren't you it's beautiful it's fantastic i tell you there's no other religion like this nobody's got anything like that they can't touch it no hierarchy no merit all by grace nobody could possibly what could you possibly do to earn such a thing as the indwelling presence of the spirit how could you possibly do something and say to god this is what you now owe me you know it's just beyond any kind of merit at all any kind of works any kind of merit it's all by grace all by grace and there's no parallel to any other relationship this is this is spirit to spirit within isn't it spirit to spirit we don't we can't you can't have a relationship like that with anybody else it just you know we're corporeal beings aren't we we're, we're in the flesh everything else that we know is outside of us and we relate through the flesh but here here we're talking about relating to god directly spirit to spirit 
unfathomable and wonderful. So that gentle, harmonious, steadfast, indwelling, loving presence, affirming that forgiveness that you've received, crying Abba Father, testifying to the fact that you belong, you are a child of God. And inside... You know, this is, where, this is where it all comes from, isn't it? This is where it all comes from. It all comes from inside. Right. Okay, so that's that. I just want to, um, I just want to point out to you the logic here um, that's wrapped up in the verses before and after that quotation. So, he, so the writer of Hebrews says, if the first covenant had been okay, there wouldn't have been an occasion for a new covenant to be mentioned. But God introduces through Jeremiah this concept of there will be a new covenant, something new is going to come. And then he says in verse 13, when he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. And whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. I just want you to, to understand that if... If God is bringing something that is new and better then what what was what is becomes old that's what happened so the existing covenant became old and obsolete and now we have got something far far better and so the old covenant is completed and finished and totally superseded in every way by the new covenant Now then, chapter 9. So I'm going to read to you some of chapter 9. I'm going to read it to you from the Living Bible. <clears throat> Just because I think this reads best. And I want to read it to you and I want you to, um, to hear it really as we go. So from chapter, uh, first one, chapter 9. <coughs> Now, in that first agreement between God and his people, there were rules for worship and there was a sacred tent down here on earth. Inside this place of worship, there were two rooms. The first one contained the golden candlestick and a table with special loaves of holy bread upon it. This was called the holy place. There was a curtain and behind the curtain was a room called the holy of holies. In that room, there were a golden incense altar and the golden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, completely covered on all sides with pure gold. Inside the Ark were tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments written on them and a golden jar with some manna in it and Aaron's wooden cane that budded. Above the golden chest were statues of angels called the cherubim, the guardians of God's glory with their wings stretched out over the ark's golden cover, called the mercy seat. And then he's such a tease because he says, oh, well, we haven't got time to talk about any of these. <laughs> it's such a tease because, you know, he really draws you in and you're imagining it all. And he says, oh, actually, I can't speak about any of that. We haven't got time for that. So let me just say there are... Um, studies and books around you know with some tremendous pictures and drawings and you know to lead you into that whole setup that was there 
we read it we read all about it in the second half of exodus we just studied exodus up to um <coughs> the first half we didn't the rest of exodus is all about building that tabernacle and all the wonderful things that go in it and of course there's a huge amount of symbology in it all very wonderful all very worthy of study but i'm with the writer of hebrews we're not going to look at that today we're going to carry on so verse um uh, verse 6 when all was ready the priests went in and out of the first room whenever they wanted to doing their work but only the high priest went into the inner room and then only once a year all alone and always with blood which he sprinkled on the mercy seat as an offering to God to cover for his own mistakes and sins and for the mistakes and sins of the people the Holy Spirit uses all this to point out to us that under the old system, the common people could not go into the Holy of Holies as long as the outer room and the entire system it represented was still in use. God was available once a year to one man, the high priest, on, on just that one occasion. Otherwise, he was inaccessible. And there was a veil and there was lots of other stuff going on okay so so i want you to understand that it was not available it's not accessible um this verse nine this has an important lesson for us today for under the old system gifts and sacrifices were offered but these failed to cleanse the hearts of the people who brought them for the old system dealt only with certain rituals with foods to eat and drink, rules for the wash, washing themselves, rules about this and that. The people had to keep these rules to tie them over until Christ came with God's new and better way. Well, Christ has come. We've got the new and better way now. He came as high priest of this better system, which we now have. He went into that greater, perfect tabernacle in heaven, not made by men nor part of this world and once for all took blood into the inner room the holy of holies and sprinkled it on the mercy seat but it was not the blood of goats and calves no he took his own blood and with it he by himself made certain our eternal salvation so what the writer of hebrews is saying is look all that stuff in the old testament all that tabernacle that was a pattern and a copy of the real stuff that Moses saw in the heavens. Moses is instructed, you must build it exactly as you saw what you saw. So he is then saying Jesus did not enter the earthly Holy of Holies, but he entered the better and greater heavenly Holy of Holies. So this is what Jesus does. Uh, after he ascends into heaven, he takes his own blood into the real heavenly tabernacle. And he does that once and for all, and he cleanses it once and for all. Verse 13, for, and if under the old system, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of young cows could cleanse men's bodies from sin, just think how much more surely the blood of Christ will transform our lives and hearts. His sacrifice 
frees us from the worry of having to obey the old rules and makes us want to serve the living God. For by the help of the eternal Holy Spirit, Christ willingly, Christ willingly gave himself to God to die for our sins. He being perfect without a single sin or fault. Verse 15, Christ came with this new agreement so that all who are invited, that's all, all who are invited may come and have forever all the wonders of God as he promised them. For Christ died to rescue them from the penalty of the sins that they had committed while still under the old system. So that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I'll just give you a little comparison here of the old and new, because I want you to understand this, all right? I wrote a little table out. So the old covenant, the first covenant, you've got Moses and Aaron, and you've got many, many Levites, every one of whom are prevented by death from continuing in office. So there's always got to be a new high priest. Whereas with the new covenant, we've got Melchizedek. We heard about him a couple of weeks ago. And Jesus, who lives forever to make intercession for us. Jesus remains our high priest. He remains in the presence of God. He remains interceding for us because he is not prevented by death from continuing in office. So he stays in office. Old covenant. The, minister, the ministry takes place in an earthly, temporary tabernacle. It's a tent, a copy of the heavenly things, but a foreshadowing of what's to come. And even when they built the temple, the temple did not last. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the guys were all taken off to Babylon. And, and you know what? There's no temple there now, is there? That's gone. Even in Jesus' day with Herod's temple, he prophesies it's all going to come down and it's come down. It's temporary. Whereas Jesus serves in the true everlasting heavenly tabernacle the in under the old covenant they entered through the veil into the holy of holies once a year every year with the blood of animals but he enters once for all eternity with his own blood under the old covenant they only achieve outward cleansing under the new covenant they achieve cleansing of the inner person of the conscience of the soul of what is within under the old covenant, the work is not complete. It must continue again and again, be repeated again and again. Under the new covenant, there has been one sacrifice that is complete for all time and Christ now sits down at the right hand of God, indicating the work is complete. Okay. I've just got a couple of other things to say and then I want to really get to my punch, all right? <laughs> I want to point out to you, there's a little, there's a little section here um, from verses 16 through to 18. Um, I just want to point it out to you. It's a slight, it's a slight, ba basically what, what, what the writer of Hebrews says is, look, um, when somebody dies, they, they have a will that they put in place. That will comes into effect once they've died and, and cannot be changed. 
you know, they can change it right up to the point where they die. But once they died, the will is put into effect. And it's necessary that they have died that the will is put into effect. And so he's saying, look, think about it as if this is God's last will and testament. And it's put into effect through the death of Jesus on the cross. And the blood is evidence of the death and therefore proof that the will should now be put into effect. And you know what God's last will and testament is? That you might receive the Holy Spirit, that you might receive the outpouring of the Spirit. That's what he's pledged to you. That's what he gives you in his will. That's what you have inherited through his death in the will. And, and it works. It works in English as well. If you think about old English, we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we talk about the last will and testament of Joe Bloggs. The, the words are the same in Old English. That testament was the same. It's the same word in Greek as well, covenant and will. So when you're reading in your Bible, you might read about covenant, then you might read about will. It's the same Greek word, and he's just translating it to give that effect. Right. I want to pick up one more verse. At the end of... Uh, so verse 26, 926... Otherwise, Jesus would have needed to have suffered often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the consummation of the ages. What have you got in your version there? At the end of the age? Yeah, at the end of the world. The old King James says, once at the end of the world. At the end of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, it's, 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 a, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful Greek term, son teleo aeon. It means the entire completion of the eon, of the age, of the, of the dispensation. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is the, the, the death of Jesus and his his taking up that role of high priest in the heavenlies completes and makes obsolete the old covenant and that is the end of an age the end of a dispensation everything is different after that point now you'll find occasions where in the scriptures where Paul, Paul sometimes writes and, and, and he's writing to the Corinthians and he says, we upon whom the ends of the ages have come. He talks about the ends of the ages, you know, we're, we're the ones that lived in one age and now live in the next. Now look, we've experienced the end of the Elizabethan age and we're now in the third Carolinian age aren't we we're all sat here and we've all experienced and we're feeling something that aren't we you felt something of that at the time it's a turbulent start isn't it to this next age there's an end of an age there there's something new that has happened I want you to recognize that the heavens the heavens regarded the death and resurrection of Jesus as 
the end of the old age and the beginning of the new age. And that's what we are living in now. I want you to understand, it's never going to be the same again. Everything has changed. This is how God has changed things. This is how he's taken the old system and he has, he has so much improved it that he has turned it upside down and inside out. With the old system, God was in the Holy of Holies and there were stages to go through to be cleansed, to make that approach. And if you were high up the hierarchy, you could get to the outer room, otherwise you were in the courtyard. And if you're a woman, you weren't even in that courtyard, you were in the outer courtyard. So there were stages of approach and only if you were in the priesthood could you get into the inner room and only if you were the high priest once a year could you get into the Holy of Holies. So it was all about approach and it was all about cleansing that was necessary to meet with God. And, you know, trying to avoid the judgment of God and the, the being impacted by the holiness of God. He's turned the whole thing around and upside down. You, you are now the Holy of Holies. It's not about you having to approach God. He's made you the Holy of Holies and he dwells in you. So you don't have to approach at all. He has come and made his dwelling place in you. Do you understand that? You are the Holy of Holies. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus has made you holy. You are holy on the inside. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are a new creation, and that new creation starts inside, inside and works its way out, that sanctification works its way out into our flesh, into our lives, but on the inside, you're now the Holy of Holies. You're now the temple of God. He dwells in you. So don't listen to any of those lies of the enemy that say, you're not good enough. You're not clean enough. I want to tell you the blood of Jesus is, you, there is no uh, more effective cleansing uh, you know, never mind flash, you know, this is, we're talking about, you know, uh, orders of magnitude better. You are cleansed. You are cleansed enough for God himself to dwell in you by his spirit. That's how cleansed you are. And it's not something you've done. It's something that he has done by the offering of himself. And he continues in that ministry so nothing can um, undo that because that blood remains effective he remains standing as a high priest in the presence of God offering his blood for you and will do for all eternity so you are now the holy of holies do you understand that it's no longer about how can I approach God God has turned the whole thing inside out and now he dwells in you. You're the tent in which he dwells. So that's why 
is completely changed. It's never going to be the same again. So that should impact on your, your theology. It should impact upon the way that you... So when we celebrate bread and wine together, for example, there is no suggestion that Christ is being re-crucified, as some would have it. There, one crucifixion was sufficient for all time and stands for all time. So we're not redoing that. That isn't being redone in any sense. We are celebrating what has been done and proclaiming that. When it comes to your thinking about you know, the end times and the end of the world and, and what is God doing with the Jewish people and the Israelites, I want you to understand there is just no... There's just no... We're never going back to what it was before. There's no way that we're ever going to go back and have a, another tabernacle or another temple or, you know, a renewing of sacrifices. That system is done away with and, and, and is made obsolete. You've got it here at the end of chapter 8. We're now, and there's no suggestion either that, you know, as some would have it, that the church is somehow a bit of a, bit of a parenthesis. It's in brackets. You know, God's been gracious for us for a, for a bit and then, he's, then it's back on to plan A, as it were. No, this is what it was all for. It's all been building to this. So we're not going back. I really want you to understand that. In terms of an end of the age, in terms of obsolescence, this is now the new thing for eternity. This new covenant is called the eternal covenant. Jesus' new ministry, he is ministering eternally. This is the way it is now and forever. So, okay. A lot said there, a quick summary. I want you to really grasp the fact that you're now the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit is indwelling in you. That's where it all comes from. Love that. Treasure that. It's precious, but it's also utterly dependable and utterly reliable you can keep coming back to that i want you to rid yourselves of any thoughts that you're not good enough you're not clean enough you're not pure enough god has done everything that was necessary and he has made you his dwelling place you are the tabernacle you are the holy of holies he dwells in you and he's done that by the offering of his blood and by the you know that's how you're cleansed you can't top that and i want you to feel very secure in that and very certain in that and then i want you to revel in it and enjoy it and understand that you know this is what god has done and it's all by grace and uh and just you know just let it flow let it flow from there so we're gonna have the worship team back up and we're gonna have an opportunity really to rejoice in those things and to give thanks in those things and as we start to to play i would you know let me encourage you guys to call out in terms of thanksgiving there's a lot to give thanks for there isn't there there's a lot to worship god for there's a lot to rejoice in and you know and 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 you know change the way that you're thinking and if these things are difficult for you then, you know, let's, let's, you know, I just believe God would want to release a few of us this morning, really, from wrong ways of thinking. 
um, and just, you know, I want you to really have that reassurance in your spirit that God is within you and know the indwelling presence of God in you and the security and certainty of that. Um, and that he, that's what he has done. We haven't had to do it and we can't undo it. Thanks, Paul.